Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Tuesday evening. I'm just back from a show, brothers. And I found a sponsor uh, for the Parsha. And let me take a look at it. Uh, I see they don't want to, names to be mentioned. Uh, suffice it to say they live in Israel, in uh Shemesh area. And this is being sponsored, and I'm reading what they wrote me. Being sponsored a uh, podcast anonymously in memory of Dr. Dodi Tobin. It's Miriam Dodi Bas Hanayocheved, teacher and director of the Matan Bellows Eshkolot Institute for Tanakh and Matan Beit Shemesh, whose unique personality and vitality touched so many, and who showed us what it means to be Lavod, Hashem B'Semcha, Ubatuv Levav Merov Kol, and she lived across the street from us, one of those people who was the life and spirit of the community. I didn't know her, but he sent me a YouTube, so she was a big blue menace, apparently. Um, unfortunately, she came to succumb to an illness. Um, so we pay tribute to her memory, and in that spirit, let's take a look at Parshas Kisova, even though it's late here. And just share two ideas. Um, one is in the Medrash. Let me see, where did I put it? Uh, hold on one second. Here we go. I left my Medrash in the car, but I'll do it online. Um, it's in this week's Parsha. After the long Tochachah, Moshe gathers the Jews together. Uh, really, Mamash, like, before he, just before he dies. And, he, you know, Eli did Rabris and all that. And then he says... Um, let's find it in the parsha. He gathered all of Israel together. And then he says, And God did not give you eyes or ears to chop what's going on until today. Now, there are different ways of reading that, and Rashi chooses to make it nicey nicey. And sometimes Rashi does that. Uh, I'm not sure why he didn't include this medrash that I'm about to read you. But in my mind, the, 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 the medrash on the parsha cuts to the cuts away all the baloney and gets right to it because Moshe is a bitter man. He's a bitter person. And that's because the Jewish people are extraordinarily uh, ungrateful. They exhibit astonishing ingratitude. And that's who they are. You understand? You want a friend? Get a dog. You know, this is a... Don't expect to, to serve the Jews and do them good and have any kind of recompense. Because that's, that's not who they are. Uh, who is the famous Austrian statesman, Prince uh, Schwarzenberg, Felix Schwarzenberg, said Austria will astonish the world with its ingratitude. And so, uh, what am I talking about? So the Medish in Dvarim Rabbah goes as follows. Listen closely. Well, Moshe is about to die. And that's where we're holding... At the end of Kisavo. For lo bitchul of Rachmim, And the Jewish people didn't daven to save him. As we all know, God had told Moshe that uh, he ain't going to make it to Israel. Uh, now, the, the trick goes like this. Okay, so Hashem said you're not going to make it to Israel. What should the Jewish people have done at that point? 
organized the Tehillim Society, made a fast, diving their heads off, showed it really bothered them. And the truth of the matter is, in Jewish tradition, we say if a tzibur dams, they're very powerful. If the guns claw you throw dams, it's very, very powerful, even if they're on the all righteous. You know, I don't have to tell you, that the Gemara said the whole Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur business is for the Yachid. Uh, you know, Dir Shashem Bimatsa and all that. But for a tzibur, they can, they can do it any time of the year. Because the tzibur has that power. I've said many times in different podcasts, an essential part of traditional Judaism, which is not so emphasized today, is the power of Klal Yisrael per se. And therefore, Moshe was told he's going to die in the desert and not going to make it to Israel. The Jews at that point should have said like this, no, you're not. You're going to make it with us. And look here, Bona Shalom. And, you know, it's home of Chiyu Mispeid. And nothing happened. All they said was, oh, interesting. Moshe ain't going to make it. Uh, who's getting his shoes? You know, who's getting his land? You see, say, what's for supper? Bushes and bar apart. Uh, that's disgusting. It bothered Moshe. Don't tell me, well, Moshe was such a tzaddik. You know, he was a beyond beyond. Moshe was not beyond beyond. He was beyond beyond in certain ways, but he was a human being in other ways. And it really bothered him, this extraordinary ingratitude. Because he knew that, first of all, they could save him. And second of all, even if you tied that they couldn't save him, they didn't even try. You don't know unless you tried. Remember that famous Gemara in uh, Shabbos? It's very well known that whenever Hashem makes a promise to do something good, it's money in the bank. He won't back out of it. If Hashem says he's going to do something bad, there's always a chance he'll change his mind because we believe theologically that God is a softy and certain figures might trigger off Rachmim and he might not do it in the end. Okay? Uh, that's why David Amel famously says, if a person who's my enemy gets a hold of me, I'm really toast. If Hashem punishes me, which is the story about the census, and he chose to be punished by divine uh, uh, plague rather than by human beings, he said, man is unbelievably cruel. What people can do to each other is unbelievable. Hashem says he'll do something. A lot of times he, he, he changes his mind. That's the nature of Hashem. Pussing until 78. So, if Hashem said Moshe is going to die, because for whatever reason, he's not going to make it to Israel, if the people would have prayed, something would have happened. And if you tie it, they didn't, you'll never know. And I was saying, the Gemara Shabbos says that although when God says something negative, it might not happen, if God says something positive, you can take it to the bank, it will happen. Because if he makes a positive promise, he's going to do it. With a single exception, that is, at the time of the first siege of Jerusalem, from the book Yechezkel, the way they interpret it, God said that there were certain Jews in the city of Jerusalem who were righteous, and so when the enemy captures eventually the city of Jerusalem, I'm talking about the Babylonians, uh, and they'll commit a massacre, certain people will be spared because they were tzaddikim. They didn't do Gilarais or Odizarish because they didn't know that. And you should even mark them like with an X with a tough on the head. You know, a spiritual X on the head. And they'll be the ones to be spared. Like Rachel Azona was spared, you know, in the, in the attack on Jericho. Later on in the Parsha, the, the X disappears, the tough disappears. And those people themselves are going to get killed. 
Ah, what about the fact that Hashem promised they wouldn't do it? He changed his mind. It's very rare. Why? Because you know, and the angels say to God, I'm doing this all by heart. I think it's in I think it's in the Shabbos fifty four, I believe, somewhere over there. Uh the angels say to God, Why what happened? And he said, Because Hoyalem Limchos It's true that they themselves didn't participate in the sins, but they did not protest against the others who were sinning. So they didn't stop their neighbors from doing Avodazar and all the rest of it. She should have gone, Shabbos, Shabbos, you know, throw stones. I, the angels then say to God, but you knew Gol of Yudulifanecha, something like that. It wouldn't have helped. The same way like in America, if I see somebody driving down the street, most of the time if I say, Shabbos, can't drive today, it's not going to work. You understand? I mean, if you if you know somebody of such a relationship, it might work, then we have episodes what to talk about. You know, they're different sides to it. But if you um, if you know for sure it's not going to work, and might even be counterproductive, so don't do it. So the angels say, you know, if these people would have protested, it wouldn't have helped. And Hashem's like this, I know that, and you know that, but they did not know that. They had to give it the old school try. You know, they didn't know it, and therefore I hold them responsible. It's the same thing over here. Moshe is, the Medrash says, he started being mochich, blasting them, giving tochacha, meaning not the tochacha we just finished, his own private tochacha. So this is extraordinary. Moshe goes through 98 pesukim, laying on fire and brimstone, hell and high water, right? Oh my goodness, the tochacha today is terrible. Cannibalism, who knows what. Uh, and then he does his own, separate from that, that's if you're unfaithful to Hashem. And then he's saying, you are unfaithful to me, to me, myself, and I, because you could have gotten me out of this. Or at least you could have tried. Omer Lahem, Moshe said to the three million Jews, Echad Pada Shishim Rebo, Be'egel, Shishim Rebo, Loyach, Lohoyachon, Liftos Adam, Echad. Right? When you guys were doomed, and Hashem said, Herfim, I'll destroy the Jews for making a golden calf, which was a biggie, Moshe stood up and fought for them like a lawyer and argued and argued and argued until he changed God's mind. That is the story. Even when Hashem said, Get out of here, I'm angry at you. Herf me, men, and all the rest of it, he did not let go. This is a famous. Right? This is what makes Moshe Abenu Moshe Abenu. Uh He won't let go. And he was so stubborn in his defense of the Jews, till finally Hashem says, Salah, or whatever. Right? So wait a minute, let me get this straight. I'm one guy, and you're 600,000 or 3 million. And I saved you. The joint prayers of 600,000 couldn't save one person? So that's better. Therefore, you're all stupid. You have no das. And I would even say you didn't have a lave, you have a heart. I would translate it, you had no feelings. You understand? It's a beautiful pasik. It's it's a terrible pasik, but from a literary point of view, it's a beautiful pasik. You're all unfeeling ingrates. Moshe said to them bitterly, uh, Midbar, you don't remember? Doesn't mean anything to do with the 40 years I led you in the desert successfully. I put up with all your junk, and I was nice and kind. I didn't take it out on you, and that means nothing to you? So Moshe is leaving on a, on a, on a bitter note. Now, what that means is that Clyde's are all a bunch of phonies. I mean, that, that's, what the, that's what it boils down to. Ah, they had all these tzaddikim, it's the door midbar and the door dea and blah 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 and in the sim and he had the learners. Think about what I'm about to tell you. 
If this Medrash is true, then even the people that Moshe taught the Torah to, you know, the elites, the Nazis, the uh, the, the the smart guys, all the rest of them, who were quote-unquote close to him, even they didn't daven for Moshe to survive in their Yisrael. Probably they were looking to take over. After all, a Rosh Hashiva, he wants to be a Magad Shir too. <laughs> you know, when Moshe is around, there was a grand total of one Rosh Hashiva. Now the guy wants a job for himself. It's disgusting. See, it's disgusting. So, yes, there's a big Tochacha in the Parsha that we all know about, but then there's the little Tochacha. The little Tochacha in its own way is sharper almost, in its own way, than the big Tochacha, even though big Tochacha is terrible. Um, because it shows you, as I said before, the personal hurt that Moshe made him feel. He does not die a happy man. You get it? Now, he doesn't curse him and so forth. You know, he's a classy person, of course, but he doesn't do it. Now, I want to tell you what occurred to me today, and that is this. So soon after this Moshe dies, you know, Nitzam Vayelech and Hazino, and there you go, and he's gone. Soon after this Moshe died, uh, what do we know about the death of Moshe? Hashem buried him, as we all know. Right? Rabban Shalom took over the whole burial, which is a very unusual story. But it happened. Why? Why did Hashem take it? So the usual way is to say like this, Hashem says, don't be afraid of death, I'll take her the whole thing, I'll give you the proper covenant, and so on and so forth. There are other ways of saying Hashem didn't want him to know where he's buried. He says his his tombs shouldn't become a a pagan site, you know, like uh, in Italy. What do you put? where they have all the light, the the churches of the saints. Okay, I'll tell you what I think, and that's like this: Moshe was pretty bitter at the Jews, and Hashem was too. And well, I'm talking about the ingratitude they showed to Moshe. For Hashem, you know, Echad Pada Shishim Ribu. So Hashem's like this. I can't stand it. I'm going to do the funeral. You know why? I can't stand the hypocrisy. You know, if I let the Kalei do the funeral. Because then they'll say, oh, who wants to be the pallbearer? Who wants to say the Hespedim? All the Rashibas will get up. They'll cry in Yiddish. They'll do this. And it's all baloney. I'm using a nice word. It's all baloney. Because... They could have saved him. The bottom line is they didn't care. Uh, they didn't save him. And therefore, had they done that, the, the the funeral would have been a travesty. It would have been a display of hypocrisy. And remember, in the Olam Emes, once you're dead, you're in Olam Emes. All the flattery on it is they can't stand it. You get it? It's actually a negative. To see all those people who knifed you in the back, so to speak, who left you in the lurch, who betrayed you, now get up and say, Oi! And you know, blah, 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 blah. That would be disgusting. Right? So Hashem's like, I'm holding my nose too. When you die, because you, you're fated to die, uh, I'm going to handle it. And I don't want the Jews even to know where you're buried, because otherwise they'll come and they'll put up monuments and all kind of stuff, and they'll say, the Schwartz family paid for this, and the Cohn family paid for that. And the Finkelstein family did the other thing, meaning they'll use your death and your grave as a way to glorify themselves. You know, a lot of gedolim people like you know want to ride them or be associated with them for their own benefit. You know what I'm saying? For their own benefit. And Moshe was HMS, He was on of, and Hashem, he said, "He said I don't want it." Hashem said, "I'm arranged so you don't want it." But lo yad that ish is on him as I have to tell you, I never thought of that before, but I think I'm on to something. Uh, so the the uh, strange, glorious but strange, burial 
that Moshe has is uh, as much a rejection of hypocrisy, uh, unbelievable hypocrisy and cynicism as is anything else, as is mysticism. I, th- I think that's the shot. Now, one more thing. In this week's Parsha of the Tocha, and every year I concentrate on a different side of the Tocha, and caught my attention when it says in verse 67, or in general, that, uh, you know, you'll be killed in Israel, be cannibalism, you get your children, you do all kind of terrible, terrible things. And then, the survivors will be scattered into foreign countries. You know, uh, you'll be scattered in arts, I could say arts. So you're going to Golas. But you won't be comfortable in the in the foreign lands you're going to. But rather you'll suffer persecutions. You'll have Lev Ragos, Kilian Ainayim, Daiva Nafish, all kind of depressions. You'll be scared out of your mind. You know, as your life will always be hanging in the balance in front of you. You'll always be in fear of getting killed. You won't believe that you'll live. No, so you'll you'll be under a certain reign of terror. So you think you'll be you'll say, okay, listen, I made it. I was in Eretz Yisrael, and I was thinking and and, and so forth. Um, you, it'll be bad. You understand? It'll be pretty bad. Now, um, and he goes on to say, "Baboker Tomer Yit Mitin Erev, Ber Mitin Boker." So it's a terror. In the morning you'll say, I can't wait for evening, and vice versa. I know Rashi knows it's possible. I don't want to get into that, you know, to read the Pasuk backwards, forwards, but it doesn't matter. Uh, the, the plain shot is the best. And that is, you'll be scared out of your mind, and every minute you'll say, I wish it was tomorrow, and tomorrow you say, I wish it was the next day, and so forth. And the reason I say plain shot is the best is, we lived this in the Holocaust not that long ago, and that wasn't the only time. I mean, my parents went through this, they told me. You looked out in the street and the Germans were doing this and that and the other people. So, let's get out of your mind. And that's the right way to be. It's famous that the Abarbanel and some others who lived through 1492 and in general uh, Spain since 1391 uh, always saw the prophecy here as referring to the Spanish Jews. Okay? And he ain't the only one. Uh, the Abarmanel says, when it says, You will not be uh, uh, comfortable here. He says, This is Mamish, what we see in Spain. Now, the Abarmanel wrote this. Uh, let me get it straight. Well, I'm sure even if he wrote it before 1492, he touched it up before he published it after 1492. I think that's the way it went. What we are seeing in our time is a fulfillment of this prophecy, he says, which was promised to Yecheskel, which is those of you who think you can assimilate will not be able to escape anti-Semitism. Those of you say we can just assimilate and blend in and we'll stop being Jewish and then we won't have to suffer all the anti-Semitism, which is a totally understandable Reaction to all the terrible anti-Semitism. You can't deny that. But it won't help. Yecheskel always said, already said long ago, I will rule over you with a powerful and poured out fury hand. In other words, I'll bring anti-Semitism out and you'll suffer being Jewish no matter what you do. 
Now, their barbana was a Spanish Jew. And in the case of the Spanish Jews, already from 1391, the pogroms of them on, there was a tremendous number of people who uh, converted. Uh, the pogroms of 1391 resulted, they say, in 50% of the population uh, converting. 50% of the Jewish population came Catholics. 50%. Everybody's brother, cousin, uh, uncle, aunt, this and that and the other. And then, by the time you get to 1492, another similar thing happened. In other words, another 50% of the survivors. So a total of 75%. Think about that. Three quarters of the Jews of Spain uh, converted at one time or another over the course of a, of a century. And then what happened? Uh, the Some ran away like their barman himself. So they were the Sephardim to Orem. They were the ones who didn't convert. And others remained behind, what they call the Portuguese Jews, and they tried to practice Judaism in secret. But they were under the reign of terror of the Inquisition, because the Inquisition was always looking for them and suspecting them. And that's why he says that even those Jews, uh, even if they totally assimilate and worship the Catholic gods, it won't help. The Christian neighbors will always suspect them and curse them and shame them, and they'll always hunt their own suspicion as a result of their former religion. And they'll always suspect that they're really secretly Judaizing until they're living under constant sakonas. Now, let me explain what it's talking about. The Jews, the 75% that I just talked about, Unfortunately, overwhelmingly, really became Christians. You understand? They weren't Moranos. The Imams just said, this is the future. And the idea was, I'm giving up all this Jewish junk, so then the church won't bother me and all the rest of it. No, I really am. From now I'm going to be a Christian. I'll be Shomer, Mrs. Christianity. Now I'll be a Catholic. And the reason is because then I won't be bothered. Right? You know, they won't suspect me of keeping Shabbos. I'm not keeping Shabbos. They won't suspect me of secretly dominating. I'm not doing that. However, this was not true. Once the Spanish Inquisition, and later the Portuguese Inquisition, was set up, so anything you did, even if you didn't realize it was Jewish, could get you trouble and get you burned at the stake. So imagine a Jew in the 1600s, long after 1492, who's a guy, meaning his father was a Catholic, his grandfather was a Catholic, great-grandfather was a Catholic, I mean, they converted back in the 1400s. So he's been a real guy for centuries. Uh, think about, put yourself for a moment in the shoes of a person like that. They don't think of themselves as Jewish. You see somebody in America or wherever, today, England, you tell me 10 generations ago they came from Jews. That doesn't mean anything. Right? It's not significant. But it was to the Inquisition. They kept records all these guys. They were like hyper. This is what the Inquisition was distinguished for. And they knew that this guy, who everybody thinks is a Catholic because they've been for so long, but really, if you scratch back far enough, you'll find the Jewish. Now, if this guy says, uh, during uh, April, gee, I think I'd like to make a salad with some bitter herbs in it. Meaning, he's a Spanish foodie. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just get together with a couple of guys, a couple of young couples, and they make stuff, and he says, I like your bitter herbs. Uh-oh. If somebody were a poor... We'll get that out. 
in the Inquisition, they have like a chart that says bitter herbs in April is a secret Judaizer. He's secretly going to have a Seder, which wasn't true, but it doesn't matter. Next thing you know, the guy's arrested. They take him to the torture chamber. They say, listen, we could do it the easy way, we could do it the hard way. They show him all the instruments of torture. They say, listen, sooner or later, you're going to confess to whatever you want. So you want to go through all the pain and then we'll kill you? Or you want to just confess now and then we'll kill you? And over the time, the guy said, I'll just confess now because, you know, I'm just, ah, I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, I'm doomed. So let's make this quick. Uh, it's happened over and over again. You get Cecil Ross' book on the History of Inquisition, and, and that's in a, breach, a kitzer of Henry Lace from uh, Columbia University back in the 1800s. I mean, you can get all these cases. So they're Kafka-esque in the sense that somebody was totally a guy, if you follow what I mean. I don't mean biologically, but, you know, but had been very far removed from Jewish roots and was now being killed for practicing Judaism when he really wasn't. He just had no idea that there's a problem getting uh, jalapenos in April time, which happened to be Passover Seder. They didn't know that. And that's what the Barbanel saying. But going to him, lo yamanuch lekafraglecha, right? That lo sargia, lo yamanuch lekafraglecha. Raghav Kilianim, that the Barbanel lived in the late 14, early 1500s, earlier, but still there were people who 100 years already earlier had converted, and so now it's their great grandchildren or whatever. Shafal pishi yisarva begayim, v'yom dimamaseim, the Spanish did not want to be flooded with a bunch of Jews. I, these guys have converted. Yeah, but they're so Jewy. I don't want this guy in my club. I don't want this guy sitting me in the movie theater and the church. And so they started a racism called Impetia de Sangre, the purity of the blood. Which is like a Hitler type thing that they, even someone who was a guy who was a genuine, sincere Catholic and they didn't suspect him of Judaizing, but they still said, you know, he's Jewish by Teva, therefore I don't want to have nothing to do with him. They're Macharif and and they always suspect him of Uma Ga Amt And even now the uh, the Barbanel writes, Shim Ovdim is Elohim Zeh Karv Lemeshan. He says we have people three hundred years they converted. And the Inquisition records, they're still considered Jewish. For Yisrael from Beish, and they burn them all the time. Kashir also b'chol malchus sfarad. Right? I mean, it's just very interesting. He reads the Tocha and baby, it's now. The way I would read the Tocha and say it's the, it's the Holocaust. Like what happened to my parents. You know what I mean? That's the way, that's one way of reading the Parsha. It's what's going on now. Shashem ena rosa shi yetzi atzona zem miedro. Kon shama hudzona. Hashem doesn't want the Jews should stop being Jewish. And so if he brings on the anti-Semitism to, and that forces them to acknowledge their Jewish identity, in other words, when this doofus gets burned at the stake, uh, fate has made him realize Chmen Ayid. Even though he has no idea how to express that, it's really, a, like I say, a Kafkaesque tragedy, but, um, but that's what's going to happen. Now, one famous source is what I just read you. It's often quoted by historians. Um, this is Barbanel. There's another one that not many people know about. I'm going to share with it from my favorite preacher of the Italian ghetto, uh, my favorite Darshan, and that's Zarya Figo. I did a podcast him long, long ago. That's, uh, he wrote the Binalitim, which is a wonderful, classic, old-fashioned, fancy-schmancy style of drushas. He was in Italy, in Venice, and he was the Rav and the Darshan in the Spanish synagogue 
in the ghetto. Uh, I think I told you, I had the, the pleasure once of being there with a group and our tour guide swung it that we had like an hour there and I got up and <laughs> on his bimma, because it's still the same show, and delivered one of his drushes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I just delivered one of his drushes and I'm going to tell you something. They had, it still holds good because they had the Israeli, you know, security guys there, and they all came in to listen to the Russia. <laughs> and then some of the Italians came in. Also, he said, this is Gavaldic. You're a good speaker. I said, it's not mine. This, this is a speech from your rabbi here 300 years ago. You know, and this show. And they said, you know, we don't know anything about our past. You have to tell us our past. We just don't know it. That's how ignorant we are. That's what the guy told me. So, Zarya Figo has been a him, which is, you know, Bina, Understanding Legion for the times of the year. So there are speeches for the different holidays and special occasions during the year. Obviously, he got Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and the Shal Shogom, and he's got Shabbat Shuba, obviously, and Shabbat Zagodol. These are classy. The Hebrew is very classy. The style is very uh, Baroque, and was it was imitating the style of the Catholic preachers at that time, although I wouldn't expect somebody to know that. And uh, he says very good because he he. he, he has a style of taking psukim and things like this and explaining each one. And when it comes to our parsha, look what he says. It's very short. He Now he is speaking in Venice in the early 1600s to a Spanish shul that I can guarantee you knows Sephardim, not Sephardim, Sephardim, that the shul is 50 50. This is Venice. Some of these guys are Jews who ran away in 1492 and ended up in Venice and set up a community there, a small one. So that would be Sephardim Tahorim, which I believe that's his family also. His name is Azari Pijo. Pijo is a town in Spain. In Hebrew, it looks like Figo, so Azari Pijo, but it's really Pijo. Anyway, and um, so the show would be, as we would today, say today, uh, Yiddish Yidin from Sephardim. Although I, I don't want to overemphasize that. Because the younger generation there are all party animals. You know, they're Venetians. It's a carnival. It is what it is. You understand? I mean, a lot of guys in this show, you see from his speeches, you hang around a uh, Playboy Club or something like that. I mean, that's that's what it is. Uh, you know, There's a party group. It's, 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 you know, Italian Jews, get it? You know, Venice is famous for the immorality. Uh, and he talks about that a lot. But half the show had escaped uh, from from Spain, from the Inquisition. All during the 1500s, the 1600s, and the 1700s, uh, there was a constant trickle of people who they could smell that the Inquisition, for whatever reason, is starting to suspect something. And maybe there was something there, maybe it wasn't, but it doesn't even matter once they arrest you, you know, you're toast. Um, and uh, they ran away. They ran away. And they ran away in different places. Some went to Amsterdam and so forth. Some went to Venice. And when they went to Venice, they joined that show. And so the people in the synagogue, include many families, the people in his audience, who either themselves were Anusim, were Anus, or their parents, or their grandparents, or their great-grandparents. You know, it's Maisa Mecholyom. We don't understand that the Spanish-Portuguese synagogues, such as they were in London, and in Hamburg, and in, in, in Amsterdam, and Hague, and Bordeaux, and so forth, used to have prayers every week in the Spanish and Portuguese uh, protect our brethren from the Inquisition and save them from the clutches of the evil people. Uh, you know, I mean, they had to, and they would read out, uh, what's the right word? 
like Askara prayers for people who burned at the stake. I mean, it was a Maisim Choyom. So he says over here, when it says, Baboker in our parsha, Baboker Tomer Yitin Erev, and so forth, Mipach Levovcha, Klolo Zu, Niskaim B'Yamino Onabimloa. This curse, they'd be terrified day and night, night and day, Mipach Levovcha, is Niskaim today, Bimloa, fully. Kibaboker, and he knows, he all lived all of his life in Italy, but he's Spanish, and he knows from the other Moranos. The Anusim, Baboker Omrim Elo Anusim Asheronso, some Lahomeris Dosom, Bedasnatzeris. In the morning, so he gets very, very um, lamaisadic. And he says, in the mornings, when you wake up in Spain or in Portugal, those Moranos have been forced to change their religion, to become Christians, will believe him, but deep down they want to be Jewish. So in the morning, they say, I, I want to be Jewish, but there is no way I can practice the slightest bit of Judaism until it's night and dark and nobody can see me. We have privacy. In the daytime, there's no privacy. You cannot do anything Jewish. So if you want to have a, a Seder or light a candle, whatever whatever Jewish ceremony you know, Jewish practice you know, it's got to be dark. Me eating Arab. I can't wait for nighttime. So without being seen. Because if they do any mitzvah, which according to the Kamura, which means the Catholic Church, the priests, is a lotaseh, in other words, they practice something Jewish, and they get mentioned on the inquisition, if they get put on the uh, blacklist, uh, put down for Yisurim and Sable to be tortured. Because, you know, these guys were burned at the stake and before that they were roasted and toasted and pulled apart and all kinds of terrible things. Sliced and diced. It's terrible. If you're a sick dog and you want to listen to this, if you're a sicko and you want to have some fun, just Google tortures of Inquisition images, you know, on your on your computer, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, and... At that point, Omer Mi'itim Boker. They said, I can't wait till morning. Meaning, So when I hear at night that some Jew has been arrested, has been tortured, all the rest of it, I say, I can't wait till morning so I can go first to church, be the first one in church, be the first one by davening, by the Catholic thing, and show how Christian I am to be spared the fake that I heard happen to someone else. But over Bagoli, I'll call Avisha Batora, and I can't wait till the morning to be do all the Averis, eat a ham sandwich, I mean, to show to them that I'm really a Christian, even though deep down he's Jewish, but he's scared out of his mind. And you do that because when you see the burning at the stake of the guys who were caught, then you do whatever it takes to escape that. You know, it's wonderful Hebrew, by the way, that, you know, when you see the terrible tortures that they inflict on those people who are caught and, and convicted of Judaism, rightly or wrongly, then you say, oh, well, I can't wait till tomorrow morning to show what a good guy I am. So what is he saying? 
He's a wonderful preacher. He's saying, you get to Parshas Kisovo, you don't have to go back 3,000 years. We got it right in our belly today. You understand? Our belly today. I'll repeat what I said before. In our time, it sounds more like the Holocaust. Uh, that's that's what I would say, you know. Uh, but you never, you know, who knows? Uh, the Torah, we understand, has multiple levels of, of, of meaning. It can apply, in some sense, to the 20th century, and also could be applied to the 25th century if the Mashiach comes in or something like that. You know what I mean? No, it's done. You can't say I've I've covered the totality of meanings within the Pusik. Uh Anyway, those are two little points from a big parsha that I think uh, speak a lot. I'll just conclude by thanking the sponsors. I know that they want to remain anonymous, so I'll honor that, uh, even though I'm close with them, and uh, paying tribute to the memory, as they said before, of this neighbor who clearly was a big blue menace and everything like that, uh, Dr. Dodi Tobin, and the Shem Shavalia. And with that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.